the Flemish uh, Vela News podcast continues here from Varagem. I'm Fred Dreyer. Uh, I am joined by Andy Hood. Andy, we uh, describe the setting for us. We're no longer in a junior high school gym. This actually is a pretty nice media room setup. We have definitely upgraded in the world. We are outside, uh, outside the VIP zone, inside a posh press room in the local football club stadium. And uh, talking to one of the girls over there, t- telling me how getting more money, stadiums growing, bigger and bigger. Great place to work today, Fred. Yeah, no, uh, Hugo actually told us that this stadium has been in construction over the last five years and um, Varagam, they like when they have some money they add a little bit more to it and they run out of money and get some more money add a little bit more to it so I think they most they must have just recently added this media room because it's pretty posh they got a full bar in here which is dangerous for but us. no beer for the journalists I, I know we're, we're they gonna, knew better than gonna, that well we have uh, some great discussion today in the podcast because we just finished watching Dwarsdorf Landeren which is the midweek Wednesday race in between Ghent Wilvergem and the Tour of Flanders really cool race it starts off in Rusilara which is a very historic cycling town there's a really great bike museum there goes out into you know the famed hills of flanders climbs some of the climbs that we're going to see at the tour of flanders climbs them from different directions not quite as long as a big monument but it's a you know a stiff five hours of racing and then it finishes here in varagem and we saw a thrilling finish with matthew vanderpool 24 year old cyclocrosser taking his first world tour victory um it wasn't a shocking win because he rode into this breakaway and was the fastest finisher in it but in other regards it's a shocking win because this was you know his second world tour race hoodie you ever seen anything like this before not not during my lifetime <laughs> i wasn't around in the eddie Merckx days but i mean come on what what a what a great debut i mean he he was uh, fourth just missed the podium sunday at gemvalgovam and then to really step up today and just really smack it out of the park. I mean, just an impressive ride. Just kind of the way he can ride and the way he can read the race. He read it so smart. I mean, there was that race stoppage, which we'll talk about in a little while. Um, just for him to kind of really just took the race by the scruff of the neck and really took control of the race and attacked. Didn't want to wait for uh, a bunch sprint and really wanted to get ahead of the race a little bit going into some of those bergs and rode smart and then you had uh bob Youngles out there who's obviously been a very strong as well pretty strong group and just finished it off with a flourish i mean those those jeans that he has are really paying off yeah it was definitely a both bronze and brains win where he was aggressive and smart enough to make it into this day's breakaway smart enough to ride in it conservatively and he just he knew he was the fastest finisher in this group so he was putting efforts in to continue to drive it to the line because hey the group behind was chasing group behind wanted to bring it back but with Matthew Vanderpool, Bob Jungels and uh, Lucas Postelberger, Anthony Turgis in there you know Tease Benute you had a lot of talent in there working to drive this break on all Vanderpool really had to do was not screw up the sprint and he showed you know he like you said he's this physical specimen he can put in these efforts he can climb he can ride flats and then he has this fast sprint at the end so, Hoodie, I mean, is this like the beginning of the Matthew Vanderpool era? Like, what do you think What do you think today signifies for pro cycling? Well, it's certainly the dawning of a new age, but I think we'll have to put a stop on that at least until after the 2020 Olympics because uh, Vanderpool was ra- racing, uh, eyeing, trying to get a gold medal in mountain biking. Of course, there's no cyclocross uh, Olympic medal, and uh, maybe the road scene, he's just not 
doesn't really he thinks that Alcaraz is quite of a hilly, challenging course uh, in Tokyo. So he thinks his best chance to get Olympic medals in the mountain biking. So, you know, what strikes me about Vanderpool is that this is like his hobby job, right? He's cyclocross world champion. He's uh, he's he's targeting now mountain biking, and just looking at his pal Marty, he's he's already won fourteen road races. Today was his first world tour race and his second start. I mean, the guy is just you know he's got the pedigree, of course. He's the grandson of Pulidor. His father won the Tour of Flanders. So, you know, he's obviously got the good genes. But I was just impressed today. I was impressed with the kid uh, on Sunday, just being in that group of that really hard edition of Gen Vugman. And that was a hard man's race, going the distance, 250Ks plus. And then today, just really, I mean, there was a few of the heavy hitters worn here. A lot of the big favorites for Flanders decided to skip the race today. But take nothing away, man. This is a world tour race. They were racing balls out and uh, impressive all the way around. So this is an interesting race. We've seen um, some rejiggering of the classic schedule in recent years and two years ago Flanders Classics which owns the you know the Tour of Flanders Kent Wivelgem all the big races moved this race Dwarsdorf Landeren into this midweek spot in between Kent Wivelgem and Tour of Flanders and the whole concept with Dwarsdorf Landeren is it's the doors of Flanders it's this race that sort of ties together these two sections of Flanders and it has cobblestones but it's not quite as hard as the Tour of Flanders and um, you know it, it solidified this block of racing and now this block of racing is is for both the men's peloton and the women's peloton to draw just a ton of attention and the race is interesting it kicks off in the center of Rusalara and it's a weekday you know you'd think people are going to work but I describe the scene in the middle in this in that center uh, square in Rusalara hoodie we saw a lot of people who were uh, playing hooky from work there was definitely a lot of people playing hooky I think a lot of people also on playing hooky with the with their bosses you know leading the way we saw these caravans of vans coming in this morning look like a, some sort of accounting company had rented out four or five vans they're all full of the dorks who are there nine to five you know hey let's go watch the race and we just saw just parades of people moving into the town square and man the the, the biggest cheers came for Alejandro Valverde who showed up in the in the rainbow jersey today he raced this race last year kind of as a precursor going into the Tour de France which had the cobbles last year this year he's back man he's going to race on Sunday so really the big buzz was around Valverde everyone was kind of crowding in trying to get a picture of the yellow jer- of the rainbow jersey trying to get a word in with him and he wasn't really too keen on talking to the media but I did talk to uh, his uh, sport director Chente Garcia Costa who told me that it was kind of almost his idea to put the seed in Valverde's brain last year after he won the world and he said mate you know you've You've won a lot of these big races in your career, but you cannot finish your career without racing Flanders. So great scene this morning. I was surprised how many folks were out because it was supposed to rain. It'd be kind of, you know, but it was, hey, it was a pretty nice day here in uh, Flanders. It was clear, but I got to say it was cold. You walked around the pits and riders had, you know, full tights on, coats. Even Stin Vandenberg had tights on. I couldn't believe yeah, it. Yeah, even Stin Vandenberg was cold. So it was definitely a cold day. You saw, you know, it was cold enough to see your breath. They were wearing coats. They were wearing headbands, stuff like that. But yet it didn't dull the ambiance. I mean, the beer was definitely flowing at 10 a.m. on a Wednesday in Rusalara and people were out in full force. So the race kicked off about uh, noon and headed out into the countryside. We didn't get a ton of coverage around the race, so we didn't really see what was going on. When we did tune in, we noticed that there was a uh, a breakaway up the road, and uh, you know the action. You know, by that point, it had warmed up too. And you know what? I was really impressed to see the, the crowds along the side of the road were pretty good. It seemed like rural Flanders on this you know Wednesday in the middle of spring found a way to come out. 
Yeah, I mean, that just shows how much these people love these races, how much cycling really is part of it. It's the pedigree of, of Flanders. Everyone kind of makes the jokes, bikes, beers, and bergs, but it's really true. And, uh, I mean, I'm looking forward to having some nice beer every night after covering these races. But it's always just, you know, it's always just so so nice to be. If you're part of the cycling family, just to come here, this is like one of the holy grounds. So, Hoodie, you mentioned this is a race that a number of the big hitters took off. So there was no Greg Van Avermaet. Uh, Quick Step seemed like they were here with sort of a B squad. You had Yves Lampard, but who was the defending champion. Gilbert was kind of sick. Gilbert wasn't doing so good. No Stebar. Uh, Wout Van Aert stayed at home. What what was going on? Why why? Why do these big riders decide to skip uh, Dwarves? Well, I think two things. One, it shows how hard Gent Belgevin was on Sunday. That was a real hard race. And also, I think it just shows you the stakes of how big Flanders is and really how deep and competitive the field is. It's not just the old days of Conchalana versus Bonin. You know, there's 10 guys who can win this race. And they all know it's going to be that 1% difference that really could decide between getting on the podium and winning. Uh, especially in that last hour of racing on Sunday. So I think a lot of guys kind of just erred on the on the side of being cautious and really wanted to be, have, be as fresh as they can for, for Sunday's race because it's going to be a dogfight. You know, we're going to see Matthew Vanderpool in that race. And based off of what you saw today and at Ghent Wevelgum and some of the comments he made after the race, what do you expect to see from Matthew at Flanders? That's the big question. Um, everyone's looking at, at Walt Van Aert and Greg Van Avermaet as being the strongest guys from what we've seen so far going into Sunday. Uh, man, Vanderpool, you can't count him out. Um, sometimes that youthful exuberance can carry you a long way. Maybe he doesn't know how hard it's going to be or doesn't know how, you know, really what to expect. So he's not going to be afraid, and he's just going to go for it. And that actually could help him really in the last part of the, of the race when it really gets crunch time. You know, maybe his team isn't the strongest, but he was even saying he's quite confident in his team because he'll have uh, Stin de Volder, two-time Tour of Flanders champion as his co-captain and um i think that uh you know if he can get into that front group with uh with you know over going into the last passages over the quermont the paderberg i mean who knows you know the guy's got the engine yeah i was really interested at Gent wevelgem to see him throwing some haymakers on I, I can't remember which berg it was real steep punchy berg you know the breakaways off the front and he was in the main group and they were trying to reel back the breakaway and he went uh, he put in a blistering attack up and over this climb and you know it, he didn't get a huge gap he you know succeeded in dropping a number of riders and he had to get back in the field but you know after you see something like that and knowing that it's the longest race that he's done. You maybe don't think he's going to have much left for the sprint, but for him to finish fourth place, I don't know. To me, that was confirmation that the distance didn't really get to him. I mean, okay, maybe he didn't have that, you know, 0.1% to get over the hump against a guy like Kristoff. I mean, who who can do that? But the fact that he was fourth place in the sprint, it's like, yeah, man, the, the rules almost didn't apply to him. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, we'll just see how how deep he can go on Sunday. I think I think the sharp end of the race when you get the big moves coming down from Van Avermaet and Van Aert and, and Sagan should, should be there as well. And then if Quick Step has one or two uh, cards to play, you know, he might have a hard time following that distances because you know he's used to racing one hour, not seven. 
Yeah, and plus the tactics of it come into play, which is, you know, I spoke to a bunch of riders for a piece on com right now about the differences between Pyre Roubaix and the Tour of Flanders, and I was asking them which one is tactically more challenging, and everyone was saying Flanders, you know, not just about knowing, you know, where to be on the roads and where the roads are and memorizing these roads, but just when it comes down to that final 50-60K, there can be pretty big groups of riders that come into the finale together and sure everyone is strong but you have to be pretty smart about where to make your moves where to gauge your energy and that's something with Vanderpool it may take a couple times to to learn how to do that yeah that's exactly right I mean you when you talk to these guys they always say that positioning and knowing the roads is key to Flanders um, you just wonder how much he's actually raced down here I mean, he's Dutchy. He's been racing the, the uh, he's been racing the, the, the cyclocross. You know, how many how many races has he done down here, even as a junior or, or U23 on the road? Uh, you know, he's done quite a bit of road racing, obviously. So I'm just kind of curious how well he's going to know, you know, where he has to be going into these big Kuppenbergs and these big climbs, because that's what everyone says. The real battle is just trying to be in that front part of that bunch going into the, the Cobbs. So Vanderpool's victory is obviously a huge story around Dwar's. I mean, sure, okay, it wasn't the strongest field ever, but hey, World Tour victory is a World Tour victory. We had another interesting story come out of this race today. About 70, with about 75 kilometers to go in the men's race, uh, we, we looked up to the TV and we saw the motorbikes and a, an official car drive to the front of the men's race and start to slow things down. And at some point, they even stopped the men's race. And from the overhead shot, it was a bizarre, bizarre scene where the men's race bunched up on this road there were some guys riding through like a park and on the sidewalk and they had to neutralize the race apparently there had been a couple of there was a bad crash in the women's race and at that point in the race the women's race was using some of the same roads it had come into close proximity to the men's race and in order to get ambulances up the road to get to the women in need they had to neutralize the men's race and so you know the men's race was neutralized and they started again and they let the breakaway get up the road and they did what they always do in racing which is to try and sort of hit the reset button but of course it never really works perfectly and afterwards we heard some comments from some men's racers about um about how it changed the dynamics eve lampart the defending champion said you know man i had just expended all this energy to get to the front of the field and then we get neutralized and it was right before I was trying to make my move on the Kreuzberg and then all of a sudden boom you know the everyone starts again he's back in the pack and you're not able to move up um so hoodie this this brings you just wrote a piece on the site today about how this um brings up a larger conversation that the sport has had in the last few months about holding the men's races and the women's races in close proximity, which is something that Flanders Classics, owners of this race, is trying to do. You know, in your reporting, what were some things you came across, some of uh, the different perspectives you came across? Yeah, I think what what they've done here with these races, they've really embraced that concept of, you know, we have we have the race infrastructure in place, so let's, why not uh, take advantage of that and let the women race alongside the men. I mean, it's, it's worked in other uh, disciplines and cycling and mountain biking. They have the men's and women's races. And, uh, you know, it really works out well because kind of everyone's here. Everyone's here on the same day. The fans are here. The media is here. Uh, and the TV coverage is here. That's We saw that uh, in these. Again, Velgolum had live TV going out for about three hours of the women's race. So there's all these pluses doing that, obviously. Um, what we saw today, and we saw it earlier this season at uh, – Omloop het Newsblad, 
where sometimes this is like a plate of spaghetti, these roads, right? They're just kind of looping around back and forth. I mean, today the men were coming down the valley at Odenar, ready to bust up into the hills on the other side. The women were coming down from that side, from where the uh, Quermot is, coming down. There were two crashes involving women, and they had to get the uh, ambulances around. So the only way they could really do that was kind of stop, close that road down. And it, it was just bad luck, bad timing today. But it just kind of shows when you are trying to overlap these races, um, there is that potential where one peloton catches up to the other. Who has the priority? Uh, at uh, at Newsblot, they stopped the women's race. And today they stopped the men's race. Uh, it's a call they have to make on the road. I think there will be a big discussion within this organization, but also larger in the sport. You know, Is this the way, a good model for the sport to go? I think it is. But there's always wrinkles you have to work out. Yeah, I think it's one of these things where the worst case scenario happens and you have to make a judgment call. And in this scenario, you know, safety is always going to be the most important thing. So it's always going to be most important for them to, you know, attend to these women who need, you know, neutralize the men's race so you can get an ambulance to see these women. Of course, that makes perfect sense. I think, yeah, the judgment call comes into something like a loop Het Newsblad where, okay, there's this solo woman off the front. Um, the men's field isn't going terribly fast, but you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna try and neutralize the men's race, you're talking about 70 cars. You're talking about a peloton with, you know, more than 100 riders. You're talking about just an entire race caravan that is substantially bigger than the women's race. And so I know from talking to some of the, the officials from Flanders Classics, it was a tough decision to make it on Loop Het Newsblad, and they knew they'd get blowback, and of course they did. Um, I think today, I don't know if they get blowback. Okay, some of the men's riders were upset, and it changed the dynamic of the race, but um, they made the wise decision. But yet to that larger point, it's interesting because I spoke to numerous uh, women's riders about this topic, and I couldn't find one of them who said, I don't think we should be held together. All of them said we like having our races held close to the men's races because of the extra attention, because there's media here. We share the podium with them. Um, I believe it was Trek Segafredo, Ellen Van Dyke, who won the race today, said, you know, I get to we stay in the, the team hotel with the men. We get to share all of the team the infrastructure, trucks, the swan years, yeah, the, the chef, mechanic everything. stuff. And, and and at some of these smaller, at some of these women's world tour races in Italy that are standalone races, they don't have that. And you know, look, it's an unfortunate um, reality within cycling, which is that the women's teams don't have as much funding. The women's races don't get as much attention when they're standalone. So. This is really a move by Flanders Classics to get more attention from women's racing. But what we're seeing is that, yeah, uh, the best laid plans of mice and men, you know, sometimes there's, uh, sometimes there's, there's things that happen that you can't, uh, can't control. And it's interesting, too, how there's also been a larger, really public push on the Tour de France to try to create a kind of, kind of parallel women's tour. We've seen Latour. You've done a lot of good reporting on that, Fred. Um, they've done one day. They've tried to do more stages, uh, you know, a, a stage ahead of the men's race. They've done the, the thing in Paris. And no one really seems too happy with that, even though I think the ASO is trying to do the right thing, but they're trying to make it fit into what their larger model is. And I think when you do a one-day race like today, and, you know, in fact, today's race started in a different town, only finished – uh, on the same place here in Waragam, and the, the course kind of looped across each other a couple of times. But really, the dynamic of trying to do that during the Tour de France, the Tour de France has officially said they're not 
even considering having a, a women's stage race run ahead of the men's race. A lot of people think it would be easy. It's like, well, the roads are closed. You've got uh, all the fans there. You know, let's just run the women's race, you know, have it start 100 k's down the road, and they'll finish two or three hours ahead of the men's. Logistically, that might work. But the Tour de France is saying that's an impossibility because what it wouldn't tell, actually, is closing the roads even longer than they are closed now, um, plus security questions, which are a bigger issue, I think, during the Tour. And, of course, the Tour has the publicity caravan, and they make lots of money off the publicity caravan. So how do you fit in the publicity caravan and a women's race all on the same day? So they've said no, but here at the Flanders Classics, they're embracing it, and I think they deserve kudos for that. Yeah, I think they do, too. I think I understand the criticism toward the Tour de, toward ASO about the Tour de France and La Course. I mean, you know, we're praising Flanders Classics because they have a, a one-to-one ratio now between women's races to men's races. And, it, and it's not just that, um, you know, they're holding them a cl- close proximity, but they're saying, you know, hey, let's have a women's Gent-Wevelgum, which they launched, I think it was eight or ten years ago. Let's, you know, they've had the women's Tour of Flanders for a while, but, like, let's have women's versions of these races. And, you know, with La Course, it's like, what's that? let's have a one-day or let's have this funky two-day, even though we have the three-week men's race. But you're right. It you know, at the end of the day, a lot of these things do come down to money, and um, you know, sacrificing publicity caravan or asking roads to be open longer when governments and um, municipalities may not want them to be. Um, it's definitely, you know, I'm not an operations person. But if, if if you sitting across from me hoodie right now were uh, some capo from ASO, I'd be hitting you with the, the questions about what would it take to happen? Because, you know, I think we'd, we'd all like to see um, some type of big stage race for women during the Tour de France or, you know, that that could get it. They could get a lot of attention like the Tour de France. Um, but. We don't have it right now. And well, I think the big problem is you need, you need the sponsor, right? Yeah. What comes first, the chicken or the egg? In the sense of, you know, ASO, if they could find a sponsor, they would put up millions of dollars to, to payroll a, uh, a women's tour. They'd be all over yep. it. Because, you know, you've seen them expand in the new markets, some of these races, the Tour of Yorkshire. Why is there a race on the Tour of Yorkshire? Because there's somebody there willing to pay ASO to run that race. That's how they do it. That's how they make their money. So if someone comes along, wants to sponsor a women's race ASO will be all over it I guarantee you that but you know uh, and, and in fact I have heard through sources that they've chopped that around you know they've chopped around Latour they want to you know they're out to make money so if they can make money off a women's race they would back it 100% so I don't think it's an institutional uh, bias at ASO against women's racing at all and I think that a lot of these bike races that have tried to do things for women's racing I think uh, deserve credit because you know, bike racing doesn't make a lot of money, so they're taking away resources from either other parts of the organization or just money out of their pocket to support women's racing. And, uh, of course, it's not a charity, and it's, they have, you know, it has to make money. So it's all part of a longer process. I think there's a conversation moving in the right direction within cycling. You just see more of kind of the old-school club opening their eyes to the potential. And that's that's a good thing in the long term. So, Hoodie, I spoke to a number of uh, women cyclists after these races. Uh, I interviewed Kasha Niwiyadoma from the Canyon SRAM team after Ghent Wevelgem a couple days ago. We talked about not just only the race, but some of the dynamics going on in women's race, racing, including having the women's races close to the men's race and what this block of racing 
means to the women's peloton. I also spoke with Ellen Van Dyke today after she won the race. Similar questions, had her talk about her race win, but she also talked about the significance of this block of racing. So we're going to throw to these two interviews real quick. Uh, then we're going to come back and uh, preview what we got going on the rest of the week. Okay, we're walking through uh, Vadegem in Belgium right now, and I'm very pleased to be joined by Ellen Van Dyke. Ellen, you just won the women's version of uh, Dwarves der Vlaanderen for the second year in a row. I want to talk to you about the race, about this block of racing, about the significance of the cobblestone races for you. First of all, take me through your victory. Uh, when did you make your move, and why did you go there? Um, yeah, we had a really good plan beforehand with the team. Uh, we made it hard on the Côte de Trieux, which is a really hard... Uh, climb it's the longest one and uh, Elisa was really strong and we were in a group with 11 riders together then just behind we also had our other teammates so it was a good situation um, but there were also sprinters uh, good sprinters in our group so we knew we had to attack and um, yeah I tried one time already but I couldn't really there was not like a full gas attack and then um, yeah, just on top of a hill where everybody was already uh, on the limit, I thought, okay, now it's a hard uh, moment, so now I, uh, I I can try again, and I directly had a gap. So, um, yeah, then it was just head down and uh, all the way uh, full gas to the finish. Now, this is the second year we've seen you take a solo win at this race. Why do you think this race is so good for you? Yeah, um, I think it's... Um, the race is um, good for me because it's hard, but it's not too many hills. Like I'm not a super good climber. I can hang on with the climbers, but um, it's not uh, in Flanders, for example, there are more hills. I, I think I, I should be able to do that too. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just really like this race. Apparently, I also wouldn't have thought that I would win today again. But um, I always feel good in this time of the year. And uh, I, I focus on these races because this is my, uh, yeah, my terrain. And um, yeah, today was uh, was working out very well. Now, Ellen, this is the second year in a row we've seen four these four big races grouped together. We have the Tour of Flanders, Dwarsdorf Vlaanderen, Ghent Vevelgum, and the fourth race is escaping me right now. Mm-hmm. Was, was, uh, De Pana. De Pana, that's right. You know, how have this block of racing, how has it changed the dynamic in the, uh, the women's schedule? Um, yeah, I think it's really good because these races are uh, together with the men's races. So normally we get more attention from media. Um, and this was also broadcasted now. So uh, yeah, that's what we really, what we really, really need. And um, last year I think there was no live stream. So that's already an improvement. Still there's uh, m- much more to improve. But uh, yeah, it, it's getting there. And um, yeah, I really like it. I mean, we have four, day, four big races now with the men, same as the men. Um, and after this, we have uh, another three Ardennes Classics uh, with the men also. How is this block of racing different than what we saw 10 years ago during this time of year? Yeah, I think um, 10 years ago, yeah, I was also racing already. <laughs> Man. <laughs> um, then we only had uh, Nieuwsblad and Ronde van Vlaanderen, I think. Um, but yeah, this for me, it's great. I mean, I love these races and uh, yeah, the more the better actually. And um, like in the men's cycling, you really have specialists for classics and um, like the big tours and everything. And in, in women's cycling, it's still a bit that uh, a lot of girls are good for the whole year. And I think that uh, in the future, we, we need that too. Like we need specialists for classics. We need specialists for the for the big, uh, big tours, the grand tours. And um, yeah, that's a process, and I think that's um, yeah, that's that's we're work, working on that. 
Okay, I'm at the finish line again. Wevelgem running into Kasha Nui Adelma. Kasha, we've seen the women's peloton come off some of these early hilly races in Italy with Trofeo Alfredo Binda, Strada yeah. Bianca. Uh, these were now in the, the cobblestone races. How would you describe the attitude and the feel of these races and how they're different from the Italian races? Well, I would say that Strade Bianchi kind of reminds me of Flanders or Newsland, uh, those kind of races. Instead of uh, gravel roads, we have cobble roads here. So constantly you just have to fight for your position. I believe that being in a great position is a key to, to success. Definitely it's the most important thing to always be in the front of cobble section or small hills. Because if you're not there, even if you're the strongest, you can't do anything because the road is blocked and there's no way too fast to go. So, uh, atmosphere is amazing, to be honest. Like, I love watching Belgian people. <laughs> Just, they constantly have parties. So, <laughs> they kind of remind me of Polish people who are also like always eager to party and to just have fun. And this is now, I believe, the eighth edition of this race, uh, Women's Gent Wevelgum, paired with Tour of Flanders. Uh, what's the significance of these races within the uh, Women's World Tour schedule? Um, I do believe that because of those races, our sport is developing and growing. Uh, those races are well publicized, so definitely we have more attention from media and other people and definitely it's also nice to just race next to the men's race and I don't know share a podium with them because then more people are interested in our sport they also know and see that there's something like a woman cycling Perfect. all right well I think we're gonna wrap things up here from this uh, soccer stadium it's starting to get dark we got to get on the road, get back to Ghent, find some dinner, maybe find a couple of uh, Trappist beers, put them in our system. Um, we're going to be doing one more podcast. We're going to have to kidnap a few Trappist monks. Yes, yeah, <laughs> kidnap a few Trappist monks. Take them to our Airbnb. Take them back to Airbnb. <laughs> we're going to do one more podcast uh, at the end of the week to preview the Tour of Flanders and also preview something that I'm doing, Hoodie, which is uh, myself and Ben Delaney at Rome Massif. We're going to be doing... The Tour of Flanders Sportif, which is the uh, amateur ride that they hold the day before the Tour of Flanders. It has, get this, 16,000 participants. Oh, my. Mm. It's, uh, I've done it a few times before. It's a wild and wacky affair. I think I'm going to get Ben on the podcast as well to talk about some of our experiences thus far riding around Flanders. Because the, th the thing about coming over here, like, look, we're over here as journalists. We're doing a lot of work. But... You know, when you come over here as a tourist to check out these races, you got to bring your bike. You brought your bike. You've been doing some of these bergs. What, what's, what have your rides been like? Oh, it's been amazing. You know, you're out there riding up uh, the Koppenberg and you just realize how bloody steep these climbs are. And the thing that always amazes me about uh, being able to ride these these famous coals or the pave, like here, here around a football stadium, you know, how often can we go out here and kick the football around on, on the pitch? Never, right? Often can, can go at the Masters and, and putt around the greens, but you know you can never do that. But in cycling, it's like a day before the Super Bowl. 
you guys are going to be riding the same roads that these guys will be racing on 24 hours later. Yeah, and and there's not many, if any, sports you can actually do that. It's super accessible. From Ghent, you ride down this canal to Udenarda, and then all the climbs are right there. You go bash around, go back home, have a burger and a beer. <laughs> and then pass out. <laughs> and then pass out. <laughs> so that's what we're going to be doing on Saturday. But we're going to uh, come back at you probably Friday or early Saturday with one last pod, preview the Tour of Flanders. And probably talking a little bit more Matthew Vanderpool. See if see if he really can do it. We're also going to be hitting some uh, a lot of the team pr- uh, media days between now and then. So we're going to come armed with some perspective, some of the riders of uh, what they're expecting for the Tour of Flanders. So for Andy Hood, I'm Fred Dreyer. We are going to check you guys later. Andy, thanks again. All right. Thank you. <laughs>